one mish. So many fish. And he's here to save them all. <laughs> Welcome to the Mish Saves the Fish Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast. What you about to witness is my thoughts. Just my thoughts, man. Right or wrong. Just what I was feeling at the time. Oh, you ever felt like this? Vibe with me. Vibe with me. Yo. What up, what up? It's the Mish, and yeah, I came back for more again. Here with the week seven edition of the Mish Saves the Fish Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, the Mish. I'm just a high stakes DFS guy here trying to help people suck less at daily fantasy sports. I want to be clear I'm a player, I'm not a tout. Uh, there's just plenty of bad touting out there going on, so more players need to speak up. I'm here for the cause, here trying to save the fish. Uh, I'm like the fish whisperer, basically, more or less. So you can find me at the Mish DFS on Twitter. You can check out the website, themishdfs.com. Right now, the site's just hosting some articles I'm posting during the week, and then my player pool for each DFS contest type, so cash, small field GPP, large field GPP, etc. Working on some pretty cool stuff, adding some data uh, and some pretty cool ways to view projections. I think that's going to shake things up a bit, but uh, not to spoil that and more to come. Stay tuned. Uh, yeah, and enough about all that. It's a big slate. 12 gamer now, a lot to unpack. Uh, plus, I'm like six, maybe seven Tito's and OJ's deep, and it's like a 60% chance that by the time we get to like defenses, we're going to talk about some really messed up shit, which is fine. I actually switched to Lemonade and Tito's like, I don't know how many drinks ago. I lost count, but uh, I'm pretty sure someone tried to kill me. There was a, a seed, literally a lemon seed in my fresh lemonade. So uh, they tried to kill the Mish. They can't do it. But that's it, man. We're here having fun. Saturday's a nice day to let loose a little bit, put some content out. Before game day on Sunday, we get the game face on tomorrow. But for now, let's talk some strat, help some fish, uh, hopefully help some people stop being fish, be less fish, suck less, whatever. Uh, can't promise that you'll print. But if you stick with me here, I promise that you will suck less. That's for sure. That's what life's about. So uh, for the most part, we're going to follow the format of the strategy article today. Check that out for the much less obnoxious version of how this is about to play out. Uh, but I'll go through each position specifically by contest type. Specifically for DraftKings, I want to make note of that. I've had a couple people hit me up for FanDuel plays or like season-long stuff. I mean, that's cool. I'll, I'll do my best, but um, I don't play on FanDuel nowadays. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, another time, another place, but uh, I'm talking specific for DraftKings, right? So DraftKings pricing, DraftKings format, all that stuff. So DGen accordingly, um, execute accordingly. Uh, we're going to introduce a new segment today. I'm pretty excited about it, I think. I haven't listened to the full thing yet, so we'll find out uh, literally as I'm recording here, and we'll look to see how it goes like everything else that we do. But I asked some buddies to send in some fish takes, you know, whether I can address or clarify or just totally shit on somebody's take. I'm cool with it either way. So we'll do that every week. If we get enough interest, send your audio, video, or whatever to me on Twitter, at the Mish DFS, uh, or you can email me until I get some type of like Dropbox going uh, info at themishdfs.com. I'd prefer like hot takes or legit strategy related questions to like actually help people, but I guess beggars can't be choosers. So send me whatever you feel like and I'll, uh, I'll hook it up on some type of commentary. So without further ado, let's get into the slate. Slate overview. All right, 12 gamer, a little bit of weirdness early on with Bucks Raiders and all the confusion in Seattle, Arizona, uh, whether or not, you know, we were going to have 
what game on the slate and if DraftKings was going to include the Sunday night game. Confirmation now that we have one first time, I think, since 2017, like week three, that we have a Sunday night hammer on the main slate. It's awesome. Check out the article for some specifics on why I like that. It's not just the season-long narrative stuff. You know, everybody loves that in season-long leagues, having the Sunday night hammer the Monday night hammer, but there's some validity in DFS. So check it out. But yeah, as far as just like overall slate context, pricing, I think is generally soft comparable to most weeks. We've had some value open up obviously throughout the week at several positions. Uh, it's really not hard to make a lineup. It's, it's pretty easy stuff this week. So ownership, I think as a result of that, uh, is going to be relatively tame, meaning that it's not going to be some type of like mega chalk week, with the exception of Kamara, right? And we can get into why that's happening. But I think for the most part, outside of that, we're going to see pretty flat ownership, right? So play the plays. I don't think we need to get cute. You know, one of the things about value like we're getting, so we have Gio Bernard, we have possible situation on the Packers, we have, you know, Mike Thomas and then Emmanuel Sanders on the Rona list. So we have Traquan at 4K, John Brown's out, we have Gabriel Davis, cheap. So what happens here, you have all this value opening up, right? And then the payup guys... Uh, are naturally going to get more ownership. It's just a lot easier to get there um, with all these value options. So then you have guys like Kamara who, because of you know the situation on his own team and because of the situation on the slate with pricing, et cetera, he's just going to get, you know, his ownership's going to get a little crazy, I think. Uh, we can decide how we're going to play that, but that's just kind of how it works here on, on a slate like this. So outside of that, I think ownership will be relatively tame. I don't think we'll see a ton of you know, 20% plus plays. Kamara might creep up, you know, pretty high depending on the format or the contest. But outside of that, we can just play the plays. We don't have to get real cute. We don't have to try to do something weird or too weird to get unique for the most part. Um, just play the good guys and, and, and stay correlated uh, and we'll make it work. So things are changing rapidly. This is just, you know, the 2020 sports version of Daily Fantasy. Uh, we kind of have to remain very agile a lot has changed even since I wrote the article. So I'll walk through some of the stuff, but again, we'll be flexible and, and kind of keep our ear out for new information and new news as we go. Um, so as far as the sports book landscape, we have, again, big totals. I don't want to kind of sound like a broken record and talk about it every week, but that's where we're at right now, right? Scoring is up, and I think uh, sports books have caught up. We're pretty much starting to flatten out now in terms of the rate that overs or unders are hitting. Everything is pretty close to... So even now, in comparison to the beginning of the season where totals were pretty low, uh, you know, overs were hitting at a, at a pretty high rate. So we still have several big total games on the slate. We have three that stand out above the rest uh, with above a 55-point over-under. That's Seattle, Arizona, Green Bay, Houston, and Detroit, Atlanta. Um, we'll start with what I think is going to be the most popular game, Seattle, Arizona. I think you can argue that this might have been the most popular game before it got moved to the Sunday night game. And now, inherently, probably for mostly the wrong reasons, um, people love playing Sunday night games. And just because it's there on the slate, people will go there. So I do think it will be very, very owned. I don't know that it'll be over-owned because I think that I'm, I'm buying the game and the environment and all that. But it just kind of sucks that, uh, you know, if this was like a 4 o'clock game and the Bucks raiders for some reason were on the main slate as a, as a late game, um, I think this would be a lot better spot to attack from a DFS standpoint. But it is what it is. We'll play it like it is. Um, if I want to be nitpicky, there are a couple of things that we can say against the Cardinals, I guess, or against Kyler, who's you know obviously the main play in this game. He's going to be 
um, you know, chalk pretty much across formats, relatively speaking. The Cardinals are the only team this year in the 2020 NFL season that are 0-6 against the over. I think that might be noisy and due for some, you know, pretty obvious regression. It might be more of a function of the opponents the Cardinals have faced thus far. They are top 10 in a ton of offensive metrics. Again, I won't get redundant. Check the article out. Specifically, the Seahawks are pretty much top 10, if not top 5, in those same offensive metrics. So again, I mean, I think there's some noise there. Cardinals are still getting there in terms of their own implied total. It's just, you know, the the total of the games as a whole so far haven't been getting there, but they have not faced an offense like the Seahawks yet, not even close thus far this season. There's not a lot of things not to like here. So I've seen this in a few spots across the industry this week. Um, I don't think it's narrative. I mean, it's valid, right? Um, but it's a small sample size. Kyler Murray is a you know, second-year guy. But his metrics against zone defense um, compared to his metrics against man defense, uh, there's a pretty significant drop-off against zone. Seattle runs one of the higher zone schemes uh, in terms of frequency in the league and has since last year. Kyler hasn't really fared well against the Seahawks in his last two outings, or the only two outings of his short career here. We're dealing with a small sample size. But um, obviously this year's offense is different. We have Hopkins. And again, I just, you know, Kyler's not a guy that obviously relies solely on his passing game scoring. He has right now the highest rushing floor from a quarterback standpoint in the league, kind of like what we saw from Lamar Jackson last year. Just obviously that's not happening this year, but Kyler uh, is averaging 12 points a game in terms of DK scoring just on the ground this year, um, let alone anything he gets through the air. And again, Seattle is by far the highest potency offense that he's faced thus far. But again, all this is trying to be nitpicky. Really, Kyler is, you know, second-year quarterback, small sample size. What we've seen from him thus far in this offense, this 2020 version of the Cardinals offense, uh, has been very different. It's like a 24-point DraftKings uh, point floor. Just ridiculous. So Kyler's all systems go. Again, I think there's very little chance this game fails, all things considered. Yeah, overall, a juicy game to stack. I think uh, RBs typically go under-owned in spots like this. If you do want to try to force something unique, you know, that's the obvious leverage on the past game stacks in, in a type of game like this. So Carson obviously gets enough work to be viable uh, across different formats. A little bit thinner on the Arizona side. Uh, Drake, I think, was more of a function last week of playing just a god-awful Cowboys team. Uh, and the script was just perfect for him. We haven't seen that in any other matchup yet this year. I don't know that we'll get a similar script here versus Seattle. So it might be more of an Edmonds game if you were trying to choose between the two. I think that's more of a large field move, but again, just if you're trying to get different from, you know, Kyler stacks or Russ stacks, uh, I think that's the way to go. And smaller field stuff, you can just double stack the shit out of this game. Uh, you know, the Russ Metcalf Lockett stack is, is super viable. Juicy. A lot of sharps, I think, are on Lockett this week. I'm still on Metcalf every week, aka new Julio. New, like, Julio 2.0, new Julio, whatever you want to call him. I mean, the guy's just, he's a fucking stud. Um, all right, moving on, uh, in terms of popularity, I think Green Bay, Houston would be the next, um, they're the biggest total on the slate. Actually, they moved up from, I think they opened at 56. Now they're at 57 in most books. Me personally, I'm trying to get past the recency bias of the Packers just absolutely shit in the bed last week against the Bucks. Uh, I mean, totally got manhandled, still having some really serious offensive line woes. I'm not even going to try 
after this many drinks to pronounce this left tackle's name on Green Bay. Fucking look in the article. I wrote it and I had to spell check it like six times. He's out like David Bakatari or some shit like that. I mean, he's a good player. He's a difference maker. I just, I mean, it's a fucked up name. So not my fault. Blame his parents. Yeah, I mean, there's some legit issues there. We have Aaron Jones who all of a sudden didn't practice on Friday. When I wrote the article, there was some beat writer kind of tea leaves I was reading that I was thinking Jones was going to play. And then I believe the Packers called up a running back from the practice squad right after I published the article. So, again, in these Rona times, uh, I still blame Rona for all this shit. But um, things are happening, and it's, it's pretty fluid. We have to be pretty agile and just kind of stay in tune with the news. Obviously, we know what to do if Aaron Jones is out. Uh, it's Jamal Williams' season. Uh, A.J. Dillon is getting some hype from the team. Uh, I think Matt LaFleur is talking about A.J. Dillon in terms of being able to take a sizable load. That was gross. Um, but still, we'll have to kind of watch that and see what happens with Jones. I think, you know, game time decision it is what it is to just kind of have plans to do one thing or the other based on his status. Anyway, I think it's totally viable in terms of a game stack type of environment if you want to just load your lineup up with a bunch of plays from this game. I think it's viable. Still very much on Devontae Adams. Still very much on Will Fuller. I'd like to be overweight on both those guys. Pretty much across tournament formats. But I can see kind of a, a portfolio strategy of, you know, if you're building, you know, 20, 30, you know, 150, whatever lineups. To kind of just game stack the shit out of this spot in some lineups and then just kind of full fade it in others. So kind of an all or nothing type of strategy with the portfolio. Uh... The whole portfolio strategy thing, I don't think people talk about that enough, but it's probably for another time. But yeah, I think that might be viable and might be the way that I go here. Uh, this is my third favorite of the big three, although all three are extremely nice. So definitely get some. Uh, and the third game that we were talking about is Detroit, Arizona. Uh, sharp money on the over here, um, at least you know in terms of more money compared to tickets. Uh, the risk here in terms of this game not shooting out is if the Lions were to get a lead, the Falcons were to kind of be the Falcons of pretty much the entire season before last week and just suck awfully, uh, the Lions could sit on the ball and just kind of map Patricia the shit out of us here. But I don't think that's the case. I uh, saw some pretty interesting splits uh, when Julio's healthy this year in terms of Matt Ryan. Obviously, we have no more Dan Quinn. We saw what happened last week after that. Uh, Julio, again, has no injury designation also, so I think we can kind of hang our hat that normal type of Julio game here. So, yeah, I'll be stacking this one up for sure. Um, Detroit's pretty banged up in the back end. I think both stud uh, Atlanta wideouts have a chance to go off. Definitely we'll have lineups with some double stacks. We'll have some with some Detroit stacks with Stafford and Galladay and some bringbacks. You can mix it up here. Play the good plays. You don't have to get cute. Uh, you don't need to play scrubs like Danny Amendola. Again, I think it's kind of weak where you can just differentiate with your roster construction and things like that. Uh, maybe off some of these value plays and tournaments. And that's good enough. So don't get cute. Play the fucking plays uh, and win the money. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Outside of the big three, we do have some other teams that have some pretty high totals. We have the Bills, we have the Saints, we have the Chargers. I think I like the Chargers the best out of the three. They're playing the Jags. There's really no other reason outside of that. This Herbert kid looks good in terms of how he plays football. He does look like an actual kid uh, and an ugly one at that, but whatever. That's not for this podcast. We'll, we'll talk about that on another one. Um, but if the Chargers don't score 30 this week, I mean, we might as well just kind of stop playing this game. Every team so far uh, since week one has hung at least 30 points on the Jaguars and things aren't looking up for their defense. So 
Uh, Chargers coming off a bye should be pretty fresh. Something to watch on the Chargers side of the ball. Uh, Justin Jackson apparently uh, might be legit injured. He was questionable, limited, uh, but they did bring up a running back from the practice squad today since I published the article. So um, if for some reason we see Justin Jackson get ruled out on Sunday, Joshua Kelly would be a lock uh, at 5,100 against the Jags. Pretty much primed for 20-plus touches. To me, he would outrank Geo in terms of viable plays in all formats just with the matchup. And, and I mean, there's just no way 20 touches against the Jags doesn't smash uh, on a team like the Chargers. So, yeah, play that if it's there for sure. Uh, but keep an eye out for news going into Sunday. As far as the Saints, the Saints total is, is dropping a bit in comparison to these these other high total teams. Uh, but I do think that what kind of offsets that is the mispricing of the books on the Panthers. I think that the spread and the total overall is a bit off. I love the Panthers plus seven here. Uh, they opened up plus seven and a half. That was a smash. They're still good here at plus seven. I think that their implied total themselves is, is way too low. So yeah, the Saints might uh, have dipped a bit with some of these offensive mishaps. Obviously, they're missing Thomas. They're missing Sanders. But I still think we can kind of hang our hat on Teddy Two Gloves and, and keeping this game pretty viable for a shootout. Uh, it's just one of those simple spots, right, where you don't have to think too much about it. You have kind of DJ Moore popping in, in a lot of different aspects and, and, and models. And you have Robbie Anderson, who's a viable play. I think I've seen him as like a cash guy on, on multiple sites across the industry. So two wide receivers, super viable. Curtis Samuels banged up. Why not stack Teddy Two Gloves, right? You can bring it back with Kamara. It's kind of a way to differentiate the Kamara chalk. Stack that game up, double stack it. It, it. it seems pretty simple. All right, enough of the slate stuff. I've made you guys wait too long to get to the good stuff. Uh, let's talk about the plays, and we'll start with the quarterback position. Quarterbacks. All right, as far as quarterbacks for cash, uh, I think it starts with Kyler. Uh, touched on him earlier, but again, I think that all things considered in the slate this week, uh, with the value at the other positions, you don't have to pay down for quarterback. Joe Burrow kind of opened the week as kind of the you know, glaring point-per-dollar play on the slate. But again, you don't need it in terms of what else has opened up for us. So Kyler just offers the highest combo of floor-ceiling from a rushing standpoint, from a game standpoint. This might be the best Kyler game we've seen yet. Uh, so I'm pretty much all in there in cash. I think outside of Kyler, at least for me personally, there's some other cash viable quarterbacks, uh, and I have them in the pool. But I think, again, for me, where I'm going, uh, it's either going to be Kyler or Deshaun Watson. Uh, I've had some builds where I've played with where the extra 300 in salary between the two have made a difference. Um, again, I'm not 100% sure where I'm going. I think Kyler is probably worth the extra 300 all things considered, but if the slate kind of presents some different options for us, uh, if the build is just a no-brainer, I don't mind going down the 300 bucks to Deshaun Watson, play the slate 100 times, and Deshaun Watson probably you know matches or outscores Kyler 40 to 45 times, I think. So pretty close between the two of them. I think Kyler gets the edge. You can go you know Herbert. You can go Joe Burrow for the price savings. Um, Mahomes is, is, is viable too, I think, uh, honestly, and I haven't heard many people talk about that, but for me, it's, it's Kyler and Deshaun Watson. Small field GPPs. As far as small field stuff, that's where I'll probably go with these quarterbacks that are cash viable, uh, that are just not going to get there for me, uh, in terms of Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, Mahomes, Herbert, uh, really love all those stacks. Um, Burrow has some cheap options. 
uh, with no Mixon, you can make a case that they'll be a little bit more pass heavy. Uh, I think AJ Green is forty three hundred. I think Higgins and Boyd, they're not a great you know point per dollar play, uh, but they're cheap enough in terms of you know the possible number one wideout. And what I think is a, is a pretty viable stack when you consider price, right? So if you kind of uh, aggregate the prices uh, from the quarterback and the pass catchers, it just doesn't seem like they need to do a whole lot to get you there uh, in tournaments. So I'll definitely be getting some exposure uh, there. Hunt is the easy bring back there on the Cleveland side uh, in terms of chalk. If you wanted to get freaky and large field stuff, you can bring it back with like Odell. If you wanted to get like really freaky, like I'm talking like chains, whips, gross stuff, freaky, you can go like Harrison Bryant at tight end at the min on Cleveland. I mean, that is like total Millie maker freaky there. Uh, some weird stuff. Uh, not my style, but you know, you could do worse. Uh, Justin Herbert is just one of those cases where I haven't heard a lot of people talking about him in cash. He's playing the Jags. That's always like, you know, checks five boxes in itself. Uh, Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry have been talked about across the industry as cash, respectively. Um, so again, one of those kind of spots where we have pretty chalky wide out, pretty chalky tight end, not a ton of people talking about the quarterback. Right now, I have him projected uh, somewhere around 7%, uh, give or take, depending on the tournament. Uh, so Justin Herbert, I think, is somebody I'll be prioritizing in small fields with the double stack of Keenan and Hunter Henry don't really have to bring it back on the Jacksonville side, kind of a spread it around offense and, and might be a boat race from the charter side. So uh, not necessary unless you really want to in large field stuff, but love Herbert Mahomes again. I mean, always Mahomes, always Mahomes. We don't mess with Mahomes. Mahomes himself is just at a price in small fields where, you know, he's not going to be owned uh, again, somewhere around, you know, five, 6%, whatever. He's got some stack options that are pretty cheap. I mean, Kelsey's chalk, so it's an easy way to kind of leverage that. Uh, Tyreek Hill is 6,400. It's way too cheap. Uh, we haven't seen, like, the monster, monster Tyreek game yet. Not really wanting to miss that. We saw Demarcus Robinson last week pretty much outdo Hardman in every category, routes, targets, etc. You know, I mean, Hardman was a ghost. Thought he retired at some point there. But, again, I mean, there's, there's plenty of stack options here with Mahomes. Mahomes is always viable. Always Mahomes. Uh, not ever going to talk anybody off of him in small field stuff. Uh, in terms of other small field quarterbacks, talked about Teddy Two Gloves. I think some easy ways to, you know, not get cute but to be a little bit unique is just to hit these, these big total games with the non-mobile quarterbacks. So guys like Matt Ryan. Uh, Matt Stafford, perfect stack options, uh, both at relatively low ownership. Just kind of going down the list here. Uh, I think it's angry Josh Allen week. Um, it's a perfect, perfect get right spot for the offense against the Jets. Uh, we talked about the Jets last week and kind of spots like this where we know the opposing offense doesn't really have too much in terms of a threat to, to turn this game into a shootout. Uh, I've heard some people out there, you know, on the Jets. I mean, it's fine. I mean, from a sportsbook standpoint, I think they're like, plus 12 and a half or something ridiculous like that. So even better for Josh Allen, if for some strange reason this is a close game, that's fine too. Uh, but I think even in a blowout scenario, I think the Bills are going to kind of want to get right here, get the offense back on track. I think their play calling is aggressive enough where I can see Josh Allen kind of step on some throats here, really can do it in, in all facets of the game. I think a second in quarterbacks and touches inside the 10. Next to goal line running back Cam, which is kind of not even fair. Um, so otherwise Josh Allen is, is the guy when they get in there. Uh, so I love some angry Josh Allen stacks this week. Uh, Gabriel Davis, the alpha stack, uh, John Brown's out. I don't think we'll see nine targets from Gabriel Davis again. 
like we saw against Tennessee, but I do think we might see some some scoring this time. He just missed on a touchdown or two in that game. Love Gabriel Davis at 3,600 with some Josh Allen. That should be pretty unique on its own. You don't have to get cute outside of that uh, in different tournaments. So, And then lastly, just to touch on, just to not ignore Russell Wilson. Kind of mentioned him earlier, but again, at 8K, I think that he'll still be owned. Uh, he'll be owned less than Kyler. I still think that a ton of ownership will go to quarterbacks in that game. So just kind of be conscious of that. I think that you can do it. Outside of that, if you're throwing a bunch of lineups in, but totally, totally viable, and then you just have to figure out a different way to get weird outside of those stacks. So definitely get you some Russ. Do not miss out on that. Large field GPPs. As far as large field stuff, I don't want to get too weird this week. Like I said before, um, the only thing that really sticks out to me that I didn't touch on already is the Steelers-Titans game. It's over a 50-point total, which in you know most years and most slates would stand out uh, at least somewhat. Now it's kind of buried behind all these monster, monster totals. I think there's some stigma out there, for good reason, uh, from the public where the Steelers' defense is just so good that they just cannot let any type of game shoot out. That's not really the case. Tennessee's actually PFF's number one ranked offense in the league when adjusting for opponent. I mean, we've seen him do it on the ground. Tannehill has been phenomenal. Hashtag get off me, Adam Gase. Um, so I do think we can see the Titans offense still be efficient here, even though it's a tough matchup. Maybe it's not Derrick Henry season. Probably a good week to get off of him. But there's some viable stacks uh, in the passing game on the Titans side of the ball if you want to kind of run Tannehill, A.J. Brown. We do have Corey Davis back from the Rona list, so it kind of hurts Adam Humphreys a bit. But I still think uh, you can get it done with some with some Tannehill stacks. The question there is who to bring it back with on the Pittsburgh side. Uh, Chase Claypool, I think, is still the alpha. Um, not really concerned if Deontay Johnson is back. And, and Juju Smith-Schuster is just... He's a, he's a born beta, man. I think Juju has some game. I like Juju. Um, I've had him in season long a few times, but he's a, he's a beta, man. Just call it like I see it. So Chase Claypool, Alpha, and Ben Stacks, and Bring Backs. Uh, do that if you're going there. Running backs. All right, moving on to the running back position. I mean, it's really, really hard for me to not lock in Alvin Kamara. I don't usually lock in plays. Um, I'm not playing like super large field formats this week. I'm going to chase some cues and I might not lock in Kamara there, but in small field, obviously in cash um, to me, just, just hit the button and don't look back. He has pretty much a 20 point DraftKings floor anyway, but I mean, without Mike Thomas, we've seen him get just incredible pass game usage. And now he's got no Emmanuel Sanders Panthers are a great matchup. I think that, you know, defensively they're pretty much just nothing offensively I think they can move the ball and put up some points on the Saints I think they could turn the game into a shootout I think regardless of the script you can see Kamara just get a ton of work I think he's he's gonna get I would be willing to bet um you know the most targets on the team by a pretty decent amount uh Traquan is a beta uh I don't see him getting more than six seven targets in this spot regardless um Jared Cook will get some work there's some weird receivers on the Saints that'll get some work, um, but I'm not really looking away from Kamara in any format. I don't see how you get away from that, especially with the value at other positions that are just easy to play. Uh, speaking of that, we have Giovanni Bernard, who was pretty much a free square um, when the news came out. Now we already have things that are changing that I, I think we need to kind of reconsider that, right? So um, I just wanted so, so badly for it to be Giovanni Bernard week. 
mostly for mustache reasons, not for like actual DFS or football reasons. I just wanted to just just ride the stash, man. Just just to a bunch of money, uh, ride the stash to cash, hashtag whatever that is. But um, yeah, now we have like a ton of, of different things happening. Literally, as I'm recording, I'm having my sources tell me, aka refreshing Twitter and Roto World, that uh, Aaron Jones legit might miss, uh, which brings Jamal Williams kind of squarely into play at 4K. Um, and by squarely, I mean just fucking play Jamal Williams at 4K. Holy shit! Bang a rang. Um, and then you have the whole Justin Jackson news, which you know again the 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 possibility that. Uh, the Chargers bringing up a running back from the practice squad might imply that Justin Jackson is at risk of missing, which would put Josh Kelly firmly in smash zone. So I think, um, you know, with this Aaron Jones thing looking likely in terms of him missing and the possibility of Justin Jackson missing, that would, for me, bump Geo down to like the third best value running back play on the board this week, which is pretty different from like a day or two ago where, where Gio was a free square smash. Things are changing quickly, so we'll adjust. So uh, again, I think that it's a good problem to have. We have like an embarrassment of riches at running back uh, in terms of cash game viability. It should allow for us to kind of experiment with some different types of construction in different formats. We have so many value options. Again, you have the three Three value running back build. Uh, if you want to go there, if this kind of plays out that way, even in small fields, um, you know, two value running backs and a pay up and, and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, we have a um, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, but yeah, stay at the ready for the Schefter bombs as they come. Uh, outside of the cheapies and Kamara, which are pretty much the obvious plays, I think your decision then comes down to Kareem Hunt, Mike Davis. I think both are super viable, both have pretty high receiving floors going to get 20 plus touches regardless of the script price wise they're right there mike davis is 200 cheaper really don't see much of a difference at least personally for me in cash so uh, i think it's more of if you needed 200 bucks play mike davis uh, if you have some panthers in there maybe at the wide receiver position and you don't want to be hashtag panther strong uh, in your cash game lineup i can see going to kareem hunt in that instance so either way is fine for me uh, totally doable uh, really, really, really like the cash game pool of running backs this week, so not a whole lot of reason to deviate beyond there. Um, if you're only running a few lineups, I, I'd stay in there personally. Small field GPPs. I'll touch lightly on some small field stuff. You know, again, I would keep it tight at running back. That's just my preference. So I'm, you know, mark some plays that I think are viable. Uh, we can kind of scratch some of them. I'll update the spreadsheet and get that uh, on the site as soon as I can here. Uh, but if Aaron Jones misses, again, it's trying to change the game. Brings A.J. Dillon into play uh, firmly as well as a lower-owned option. I would suspect that Jamal Williams catches most of the ownership there. Talked about the Arizona running backs kind of as a lower-owned option in those games, and, and Chris Carson as well. Uh, they're in my small field pool. I'll probably sprinkle some there. Zeke, just on the premise that if the Cowboys are going to do it, you would have to reasonably assume that they're just going to feed the shit out of Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, they probably should do that. So we'll have to kind of find out if, if the workload is enough to get him there. But, you know, for me, anytime you have a, a player like Zeke who's always got some type of 30 burger potential uh, at sub 10%, you have to kind of consider, uh, at, at minimum, consider 
Ezekiel Elliott. And the last one I'll highlight here is uh, Circle Jerk McKinnon. Uh, if you guys didn't see, I think it was week one, Red Zone Channel. Uh, I have no idea which TV personality made the snafu, but when live on air called him Circle Jerk McKinnon, it was just the ultimate teleprompter prank, Anchorman style, that somebody got him with really good. Uh, and from now on, Jerk McKinnon will be referred to as Circle Jerk McKinnon at least in these parts of town, so fucking deal with it. Um, but at 5,800, he opened the week kind of what I thought was going to be somewhat chalky with Mostert out, with Coleman out. Um, there's just a lot of, I guess, kind of speculation and hype going around that might be unsubstantiated for this hasty kid and, and Jeff Wilson, who I think is questionable to rib injury, but I think is going to play. To me, it's a big leap of faith that you know these other running backs are going to take the work from McKinnon after we saw multiple games already with you know similar situations where McKinnon got the work. Um, the matchup is not good. Price is decent, but at like two, three percent ownership, there is a chance here. And I mean, not like a far stretch. I mean, all we need to see is like two games worth of history, two out of six of the NFL season, repeat itself. Um, and then McKinnon at, at 3% owned at 5,800 is a pretty good play, I think, in tournaments if that plays out. So I like Hasty. You know, I've heard some good stuff about him. He seems to be pretty nasty. They were kind of trying to keep him a secret, allegedly, um, so he didn't get swiped up off the practice squad. But now that he's on the active roster, you know, and it's a Shanahan offense, they might give him some work. We'll see. And if he does, he's got a chance to to do well in that scheme. But again, I like McKinnon and his ownership and what I think is still the lion's share of the workload until some type of actual happening proves otherwise. You know, I get that we're trying to be early, but not trying to be too cute here. Um, Circle Jerk McKinnon. And anytime you can play a guy named Circle Jerk, I mean, obviously you have to fucking do it. So, Wide receivers. All right, let's move on into wide receivers before I pass out here, uh, which is probable before the end of this pod. But um in terms of point per dollar play the first on my list is gabriel davis he's just popping for me with john brown out he's the fucking he's alpha dude that that is that is the alpha play uh in my book at 3600 against the jets uh the bills are going to get their 30 burger they're implied for like 28 and change uh 11 point favorites uh talked about it with josh allen just to get right spot and it's just a cheap stacking option there's not a lot that he can do to fail. Uh, he pretty much has to goose egg. I don't think he will. He'll be out there for, I believe he led the Bills uh, in snaps and routes uh, against the Titans the last time John Brown missed. So we can expect Davis to be out there. Um, he's not really a wind sprint guy. Again, he's a fucking alpha. Uh, play Gabriel Davis. Um, I like him in cash. I don't know that a lot of other people do, but, uh, you know, suck less, Gabriel Davis. Next for me in terms of just point per dollar, uh, just who's popping is DJ Moore. Uh, DJ Moore, I mean, there's really no question that Robbie Anderson is the wide receiver one over there, but I do think we have a pretty much a wide receiver 1A, 1B type of situation in terms of opportunity metrics and usage. DJ Moore is, is stacking up quite well against Robbie. Robbie's obviously done it. He's been more productive. He's put up more fantasy points. Uh, and he looks great doing it, but DJ Moore um, coming off an 11 target week at 5,600 in this type of spot. I love it. We're going to see the 30 burger at some point. Uh, and again, I don't see why this is not 
uh, as good a spot as any for it to happen against the Saints. I would have liked to see Michael Thomas in there or some you know other type of uh, receiving options for the Saints to make this a little bit more likely of a shootout. I do think it's a little bit less likely now because of all the, the weirdness happening on the Saints side. But still, I think DJ Moore with Curtis Samuel banged up, not a whole lot else going on uh, behind that in the past game. Uh, I think you can reasonably project DJ Moore for like eight plus targets, you know, which kind of gives him a, a nice floor in cash and, and the ceiling is, I think, monster. Uh, so I'm all in on DJ Moore this week. Keenan Allen is probably the next most popular cash play. Uh, pretty much doesn't matter what site you look at, what pod you listen to, how you consume content, you're going to come across some Keenan Allen shit. Pretty good reason. Had some weird stuff happen against the Bucks with some back spasms. He scored a touchdown. I was heavy, heavy on him that week. Didn't kill me, but word from everybody close to the team is that he's fine. He doesn't carry an injury designation. You can kind of expect, at least reasonably, his full workload. I don't like to factor injury risk too much uh, into plays. It's just hard to predict. He could very much go out there and be fine. Kind of have to take things at face value. Um, Was a little bit weird. Gives me a little bit of pause in tournaments if he catches like 20% ownership. Um, I think at that point we can start to kind of consider the what ifs uh, in terms of injury, but in cash, he's totally fine at 6,200. He's way, way too cheap for his role, his volume, his expectation. He's one of the highest just raw projected guys on the slate and he's just mispriced um, as are most of the chargers here in this spot. Totally fine with Keenan Allen. If you want to go there, Uh, talked about Robbie Anderson, still very viable at 6k. Terry McLaurin, another popular play, 5,800 against Cowboys, just the fucking worst team in the NFL. You can't convince me otherwise until they put something on tape that says that they're not. They have all these weapons on paper, but just horrible, horrible. Um, it should be good for McLaurin if the offense, uh, the Dallas offense, excuse me, can score. But the Dallas defense, there's not a single person in the secondary that can stop Terry McLaurin. Uh, the only person that can stop Terry McLaurin is probably Kyle Allen. And again, he's playing the Cowboys, so um, no concerns there. Love, love Stefan Diggs. Talked about Gabriel Davis. I mean, he's the price play, but Diggs is, you know, Diggs is the real alpha, obviously. Top five real life NFL wide receiver. Don't at me um, or do if you think you know better. But what a fucking stud uh, Stefan Diggs is. What a fit for the scheme. What a, what a beast he's been for Josh Allen. I don't expect anything different here. Devontae Adams, um, just from a pure pricing standpoint is probably not the best way to go in cash but I mean you can't really go too wrong with playing the highest projected receiver on the slate in terms of opportunity who's also in just an absolute smash spot um with Aaron Jones misses you know it's it's like the receiver version of of Kamara it's like the inverse here right where um you know you just have to expect more targets to go the way of of Devontae Adams without Aaron Jones um based on any projection you had for for Jones in the passing game or just overall touches. Uh, Devontae Adams is basically like an extension of the run game on the Packers. A lot of screens, a lot of things close to the line of scrimmage. He also runs downfield. Just a great mix of everything. So I think you can almost bump his target projection from what I have is like 10 um, hot take to like 12, 13. So at 7,900, he's a little pricey. But I've messed around with some builds where I really, really like them Um, in some like really small fields, you know, not cash, but kind of like, you know, higher dollar tournaments. I will probably have quite a bit of Deshaun Watson with the Devontae Adams bring back on the other side. Stay tuned for that print fest. I can talk about that next week. And then lastly, I mean, this is gross. And again, it's kind of an early week thing. 
Um, but AJ Green, I mean, 4,300, uh, 300 more than Traquan Smith. Um, I still think you can project AJ Green for more raw volume than Traquan. Maybe that's a hot take. Maybe it's not. I'm not too sure. But uh, if Traquan is going to be, you know, like 20% owned and AJ Green is going to be like five, like all day, mortgage my house uh, and, and put it on AJ Green. Um, that's, that's where I'm at. Traquan's a beta. Small field GPPs. All right, moving on to some small field stuff. Obviously, you can play um, the plays I talked about in the cash pool here at Wideout. Um, but for small field, the guys that pop out for me that I'll be prioritizing to make sure that I have some of uh, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, a.k.a. New Julio, Kenny Galladay, and Will Fuller V. Yeah, man, call the man by his name. It's Will Fuller V. That's how he likes to spell it. So uh, just terrible jokes. It's so bad. Just blame Tito's. Also definitely want some of Calvin Ridley and Julio. I want to make sure that I have a good bit of that in the stack lineups that I'll have for the Lions-Falcons game. And then Cardinals wideouts. I mean, you don't really have to go nuts stacking Kyler, but you'd imagine that in a shootout type of scenario, even if he does it on the ground for you, you're still probably going to need at least one of his wideouts if that game does go off. Quickly moving on to large field stuff. Large field GPPs. I still think Chase Claypool is the alpha over there. Uh, his ownership is going to be pretty tame. His price is down. I think that, you know, we talked about it on the review pod. Some of the industry is down on him because of his raw volume. Now you have Deontay Johnson back, uh, probably for like the five snaps that he'll get before he gets fucking injured again. Uh, we hate you, Deontay Johnson. Uh, you'll never be able to make me back the money I lost. But, um, yeah, I love Claypool at 57. If you're going to stack that game up, like we talked about earlier, it's pretty sneaky. I can definitely get with that. Uh, Swole Beastly on the Bills at 4,900. Diggs and Gabriel Davis, for sure, are my preferred plays. But I do not hate some Swole Beastly uh, in large field tournaments if you're going to double stack. Talked about Tannehill uh, and the Steelers-Titans matchup. I do like A.J. Brown. He's priced a little bit up for the matchup, but, I mean, he's going to be, like, 2% uh, or something like that in large field. So you can definitely go there. Um, I did see while I was recording uh, from my refresh, the internet sources, that Jamison Crowder has been downgraded to doubtful. Uh, I think I'm going to have to bump Brashad Perriman up a bit uh, at 3,700. Pretty much the, the no-brainer number one receiver. Bills are pretty banged up in the secondary. I believe Tredavious White is going to miss if I saw that correctly. Josh Norman is going to miss, although I'm not sure if that's good or bad for the Jets. Josh Norman in prime time, I want to see more of, of him getting thrown around by Derek. I would love to see, like, every Monday night just Derek Henry beat the shit out of Josh Norman. That would be great. Roger Goodell, if he can make that happen, that would be dope. Um, but, yeah, I think I think Perriman, uh, I'm going to have to adjust his projection. Uh, definitely his opportunity with Crowder being out. Tight ends. On cash at tight end, I think it's pretty much just two to choose from. You have Hunter Henry at 4,500. You have Travis Kelsey at 6,300. I think you can make a case for Darren Waller. Maybe you can make a case for Jared Cook. I uh, have them both in the pool. You know, Again, wouldn't hate you for doing that. But for me, I think it's between Hunter Henry and Kelsey. And I think ultimately, if you're just going to go with kind of the, the on-paper criteria, Henry at 4,500 at a position that is just usually optimal to pay down at. You know, has the better matchup, has the higher total. I think Henry is probably the way to go here. 
Uh, it just really depends on how many chargers you want in your cash lineup, you know, and having exposure to the Chiefs is, is never a bad thing either. So either way, whatever fits the build, uh, I'm good with both. Moving right into small field stuff. Again, we talked about Waller. We did get news that the Raiders offensive line uh, is going to play, at least with the exception of Trent Brown, who was the one that almost roaned the entire team anyway. That would have been a shit show. Uh, imagine that, like a total, like five backup offensive line starters against the Bucks. After what we saw the Bucks do to to Green Bay last week, that would have been a fucking nightmare. But the Raiders actually will get some starters on their offensive line, so that's pretty good. I think Waller, you can expect him to be the number one target as he usually is uh, on the Raiders' offense. Uh, Sixty one hundred again. I, I would much rather pay the extra two hundred to get to Kelsey for sure. But with the ownership discount. You can definitely talk yourself into a little bit of Waller if you're going to stack that game. Uh, not sure I'd really want to run him out there as, as a one-off, so just kind of plan your lineups accordingly. Jared Cook, I think, is definitely viable as a one-off. He's viable in game stacks. He's not very price prohibitive. It's not the same thing as, like, normal Jared Cook weeks where, you know, he might be, like, you know, 5,600 uh, and he's chalk. You know, at around 10% ownership, I can get with the 4,300 price tag. I don't think he'll kill you there. Uh, I do like him much better than, than Traquan Smith uh, all around if you're going to pick somebody over there at a similar price range. Large field GPPs. A uh, little bit weirder, probably more of a large field thing, and we can jump right into that. Super smooth transition. Thank you, movie trailer, audio drop guy. Uh, fucking beast, by the way, that guy. Um, but Greg Olson, and I'll probably never say that again, um, but Greg Olson, I think, at 3,600, a tight end. In a shootout game uh, is viable uh, for the Seahawks, so I'll look there uh, to kind of sprinkle around and differentiate myself in those game stacks. Dalton Schultz, uh, 3,900. Oof, I know, I get it. Um, matchup is not prohibitive, but again, a tight end, if you're going to punt it off, I think Schultz has six, seven, you know, eight target type of upside, um, could touch paint. Uh, and that like two, three percent ownership uh, at the position would be all you need to get you there in that type of scenario. Uh, and then lastly, as far as tournament punts, same price range. We have Logan Thomas. I think that he has, at least in that price range, the highest percent chance to double dong uh, against the Cowboys. I think Terry McLaurin will get a ton of ownership. I don't expect a lot of people to stack that game. Uh, so I just think as a result, Logan Thomas will be like zero percent owned. Not really, but like maybe like 3% owned, and I think is viable if you want to just punt it off in tournaments at the position. Don't stack that game. That's not what we do here. That's way too cute for a week like this. But uh, if you just want a you know, random piece to save some salary, you could do worse than Logan Thomas at tight end. I've heard some really, really gross-ass shit um, about guys like Harrison Bryant. I've heard a little bit of love for James O'Shaughnessy. Uh, I don't have him in the player pool now. I might have to. Just out of respect for another O apostrophe, uh, shout out to the Irish people who can drink all day and still record podcasts uh, in the evening. Darren Fells at 4,100 is, I think, very viable. I think I might bump him up, actually, to small field at his ownership. And, and again, if you're going to stack that game up, I think he makes sense. And then I'll touch on George Kittle just because he's George Kittle, and I think you'll get him at, like, 5%. Patriots have done a pretty phenomenal job against tight ends as a whole. Uh, I think that's, you know, more of a function of just how they scheme on defense uh, for the opponent's kind of number one weapon on offense. They did a pretty good job against Kelsey. They did a pretty good job against Darren Waller. 
Um, so Kittle is kind of, you know, same type of scenario here. Tight end, focal point of the opposing offense. I think Belichick's fucking around here. So I'm, I'm, I'm really not too keen on this game. Uh, and at 6,500, I'd much rather have some of these other tight end options, even at Kittle's ownership. So not too worried about him breaking the slate on me. Um, if you're going to go there, I would go there only in large fields. But for me, it's probably a fade. Defense and special teams. All right, finishing it up with defenses. We made it. Uh, I'm still standing, sitting, whatever. Fuck. This is rough. But um, I'm good for the punt defense in cash this week like I usually am, especially in a week like this. There's really no – like there, there's good pay-up options, but not at this price. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute here. But, um, yeah, it, it, if the Raiders offensive line was going to be completely missing, um, I could have talked myself into the Bucks at 3400 in cash. But – not the case so jets are fine at 2k lions are fine at 2200 texans are fine at 2200 um not too concerned about the shootout games you get a couple of negative points if they if they give up i think more than like 34 uh nfl points but otherwise uh, i mean it, it just punt the position in cash I, I don't really see too much of a difference i think the only other team at a reasonable price that i consider is the washington football team uh, shout out to me for saying that right for the first time in my life. Uh, but at 2,500 against Andy Dalton, I think you could uh, definitely talk yourself into the Washington football team at DST. They should win up front in the trenches against Dallas's makeshift offensive line, uh, which is really, I think, a bigger deal than what's being reported. I mean, that's been the kind of the crux of the Cowboys for years, and they are decimated. I mean, decimated on the offensive line right now. So Dak is a huge loss, but I think you can make a case that the offensive line is as big of a loss. Um, hot take. Uh, as far as small field stuff, I think if you wanted to, you can pay all the way up for these expensive defenses in a good spot. They are super expensive this week. The Bills are 47 fucking hundred uh, against the Jets. They could still get there for sure. I mean, the Bills at 4,700 could still break the slate. So not something that I like, and it's going to be tough for me, at least the way that I play, uh, to jam in a defense for that that high of a price tag uh, to sacrifice somebody else at another position. So the lineup's going to have to be like super correlated for me personally outside of the Bills DST to make it work. But I think I, I will try to force it in a little bit. I do think they could break the slate. Same thing for the Chiefs, not as bad little bit less expensive, but at 4,300 uh, against the Broncos. I do like the Chiefs as well. They're popping in some pressure metrics. Obviously big, you know, over a touchdown favorite. Um, they're going to be in a good spot the whole game, I think. So I like the Chiefs, like the Bills. Super expensive, but I will have some ownership. Uh, and for me, that's probably all I'll be prioritizing in small field stuff. Uh, you know the deal for large field, just kind of spin the wheel, pick a defense that fits. Um, you can get weird there if you want. There is definitely some merit in picking good defenses, and there's definitely defenses that suck. So I get it, but for the most part, just pick whatever defense that fits in large field GPPs. Pipe layer pick of the week. All right, for the new segment I talked about, I solicited some fish takes from my buddies. Uh, you guys are welcome to send them in yourself. Uh, this way we can help break me up from just the monotony of me in full fucking words mode talking about football. But uh, send me some stuff at the DFS on Twitter uh, until I get a Dropbox or some type of easier way to transfer audio files. You can go ahead and email info at the 
Send me some fish takes, uh, whatever you got for the week, and I will comment on it. So without further ado, this is my boy, uh, Sean Tuesday, a.k.a. Mikey Mush, uh, sending in the first ever Mish Saves the Fish fish take. Uh, let's roll, Mikey. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? It's me, Mikey the Mush, a.k.a. Mikey Fish. And I'm probably the main inspiration for this podcast, but I'm sure the Mish won't admit it in fear of this podcast blowing up and me asking for my piece of the pie, because I will. Here are my two fish plays of the week for week seven. Fish play number one, Deontay Johnson versus the Titans. They're 25th against wide receivers. Lock button. Cue the drop, Mish. How do you breathe with those gills? He's going for 4,200 on DK. He's the number one alpha receiver on the Steelers. In weeks one and weeks two, he had 23 targets. Weeks three and weeks five, not healthy. My guy's back. Fish play of the week number two, fade Josh Allen. The dude's going for 7,700. He's the second most expensive quarterback. I know he's playing the worst team in football. I get it. The J-E-T-S suck, suck, suck. I'm a Jets fan. They're terrible. You know they're terrible. The Jets know they're terrible. The Bills know they're terrible. Everybody knows they're terrible. I know the guy crushed him in week one and went for over 30, but the Jets scored 17 points that week. It was somewhat competitive. Last week, they were shut up by the Dolphins. Adam Gase is still calling plays and says he's at step two of 10 before thinking about giving up play calling duties. God help us, Jets fans. Josh Allen will need to do very little to beat the Jets. Don't be fooled. Mikey Mush out. Okay. That was fucking hilarious. Uh, and yeah, that is why I started this pod and this website and all this stuff is really I was just posting stuff for my buddies, uh, trying to save, you know, the family of fish that I've, uh, I've grown to love here, um, and help these guys out. So, uh, and it just kind of grew into, you know, forwarding on to other friends and, and, and some other people apparently being interested to, uh, here we are. So yeah, we'll, uh, Kudos to to my fish friends, uh, Mikey being the leader of the pack. Um, so to to talk about take number one, Deontay Johnson. Uh, yeah, I mean forty two hundred is super cheap. The game is stackable. I think in certain formats it's very viable. Um, I think he's burned enough people where his ownership should be pretty tempered. And if he goes back and assumes any type of normal role, um, I don't think we're going to see him bump Claypool off the field. I think we'll see Juju stay in the slot. Uh, kind of run some some low A dot, you know, high percentage type of routes, not a ton of volume. I think the concern here is, you know, is for the ceiling. I think Deontay Johnson probably needs a big play. I think Chase Claypool now eats into what we saw as Deontay Johnson's early season target share. So I don't hate it. I don't think it's like super fish. I think that, you know, in cash and small fields, if you're playing five lineups and you, you feel like you have to jam Deontay Johnson into one of them, I think that's a little bit thin. Uh, but if you're going to attack the game and correlate, uh, I'm cool with it. So not, not super fish, Mikey. Good for you. This second take though, this is fucking trash. This is what I expected. So thank you for that. Uh, the Josh Allen failing against the jets thing. I mean, yeah, I get it. You know, we talked about, you know, the jets not making it competitive. Maybe the bills shut them out. Maybe the bills defense gets a defensive touchdown. Um, you know, maybe the bills at some point take the air out of the ball. I suppose if it's like, a tremendous boat race. There's some benching risk. Maybe see some some Matt Barkley action uh, in the fourth quarter. But again, I, I just don't see how the Bills' offense doesn't get there. Four touchdowns 
um, with Josh Allen being, you know, likely responsible for all four. Uh, we don't see a ton of running back touchdowns even at the goal line over there. It's Josh Allen's. It's his goal line, man. He's the fucking alpha. So love Josh Allen. You get the rushing upside. And I don't hate fading him. Again, if you're making, you know, three, four lineups and you want to prioritize Kyler and Deshaun Watson and Russ and things like that, um, you want to see what happens with a, with a freaky Joe Burrow stack. Uh, in terms of the savings and what you can do with it, I'm cool with it. So, yeah, he's definitely not, you know, a top four quarterback on the slate for me. Uh, but nobody's going to be shocked to see the Josh Allen 30-burger. And I won't be shocked to see the Josh Allen 30-burger with the with the 20-plus DK points from Alpha Gabriel Davis. So, uh, write that down, Mikey. Hashtag suck less. Maybe next time, suck less. All right, man, we did it. Somehow I made it. Um, still standing, sitting. Speaking somewhat coherently, good for me. Uh, that was it. Week 7 NFL, the Mish saves the fish. Um, I want to leave you guys with a parting gift from now on. I feel like you know, I'm pretty selfish here just kind of talking. Uh, it's all me for all this time. So I'd like to leave you with something on a better note. Uh, here is Alex Trebek saying the word genre. Mish, out. Um, genres for four a genre category this genre of art this genre of novel this genre of game this alliterative genre this fantasy genre this spooky genre this popular genre this six-letter genre this genre about a low-born scamp the genre of american local color ballet the sword and sandal genre a japanese cartoon genre a tv genre 1970s genre of film the 60s musical genre this very american genre of music king of this musical genre master of this literary genre leader in this colorful music genre giant of this literary genre 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 genres